Mark chapter 9, and you'll follow along in your notes. We're going to be in a couple of different places today. As I said earlier, we are in a series on prayer. Too busy not to pray, and the idea behind each each week was to kind of look at I, I said last week I want to let you off the hook, and it's it's just me. It's it's the thing, it's the excuses that I give, that uh, that why I don't pray sometimes, and then uh, when I further inspect those, I realize they don't hold a lot of weight. And uh, so the very first week, all the way to the very beginning, and I keep coming back to this, and um, the idea of prayer is to change me. I pray so that God can change me. That's when I remove all of the distractions from my life. I remove all of the the things that would uh, d- that prevent me from focusing on Jesus just for that that set amount of time, however long that is. And getting my heart uh, open, if you will, it's prayer is like lying down on the operating table, and God said, "Okay, you're back. Let me do some more work in you." If you agree that you are not completely done yet, then then you need to make time to get yourself on that operating table and let God do a work in your heart. It doesn't just happen at church. It doesn't just happen. As someone tweeted uh, today, uh, yesterday, I was reading uh, through Twitter, and they said uh, too many Christians. That's something to the fact. Too many Christians think that uh, the the pastor's job is to read the Bible to them, and that's really not the job. That's not. There's there's more to it. But our job as a Christians is to read the Bible to ourselves. And prayer is the same way. Prayer doesn't happen just at church. Prayer doesn't happen when we're around the table holding hands and uh, waiting to dig in. Uh, prayer doesn't happen uh, only in the hospital room beside someone's bedside, uh, at someone's bedside. Uh, prayer happens all the time. It's, at least it should. And so even last week when we looked at what to pray and we looked at the particulars of prayer, what do I, what do I say? And how long do I have to say it? And and what if what if I say the wrong thing? And 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 last week uh, really d- dug into a little bit of the detail of behind praying. And if you missed last week, we we have all the sermons uh, up on uh, from this series up online, so you can look through those. You can go straight to the website and get through them through that way. But uh, this morning, and 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 at the very beginning, in deciding to teach on prayer and preach on this, I I wanted to take some time and talk about. What we all have come to know is true. If you've prayed, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you've ever prayed uh, for any length of time, you have come to the conclusion that God is not a genie. Uh, people who feel that God is a genie are people who don't pray. Uh, because if you've ever asked God for something, more than likely you've heard the no answer uh, more often than the yes answer sometimes. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Don't you hate it when you hear certain people talking about these answers to prayer that they got? You're like, man, I haven't had a answer to prayer line. How are you asking? Are you saying please enough times? Maybe my eyes aren't squinted tightly enough. Or maybe I'm, maybe my knees weren't completely contacted with the floor as I made that request. Maybe one of them shifted right as the magic foo-foo dust was going and I missed it. What, are, what am I doing wrong in my praying? Sometimes I ask God for things and God says no. And so I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes this morning and then a little bit next week looking at why God says no? Because God does say no. Let me say this just to kind of preface everything they're going to say. God answers my prayers. God always answers your prayer. Just not the way you want Him to, right? Sometimes as Christians, we think God answers prayer means God says yes every time. If you're a parent, do you answer all of your kids' requests? Yeah. But not with a yes. 
mostly, what's the most commonly uh, used answer that parents give? We'll see for us. We'll see. Or uh, I don't know. (laughs) God doesn't give I don't knows, but we'll see happens. And my my kids have learned we'll see usually means no. I just don't have the, the, the energy to go through that whole explaining why. So if I say we'll see, I'm giving them a little hope. It's false hope, but I'm giving them hope. And, uh, that, and that's, and, and that's, God always answers my prayers, but sometimes, and more often than not, I find that God does not answer the prayer in the way that I wanted Him to. And so, when I, when I've got that misunderstanding, then I just assume, well, God doesn't answer prayers. No, no, no. God didn't answer prayer the way I wanted Him to, but God answers my prayers. And as we're gonna look at this morning, oftentimes the, the answer is no. I don't like no. I don't like being told no. Obviously, I think that whatever I'm asking for is a good idea. That's why I was asking for it. And God, if you would only see things my way, you would be more than willing to answer my request before I even got off of my knees. There's a song that uh, talks about praying, and he says that as I get off of my knees, it's still raining. He's going through a storm in his life, and, and he's praying for the storm to pass, and he says amen, and he looks around, and nothing's changed. Let's be honest. If prayer happened the way we wanted it to, we would only say the word and poof, it happened, right? I mean, if you're praying for uh, a loved one to get better, you, we get around the hospital bed and, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's funny, I don't know, you've, you've done this many times, but you know, when the pastor comes, uh-oh, all right, got the big guns in here now, and I'm like, if you only knew, but I'm just... <laughs> one, told me, one person told me, they said, you're the, you're the go-to guy for prayer, I'm like, Man, you must be really desperate. <laughs> if I'm your last option, I mean, I, I mean, I know who to talk to, but uh, you could talk to him just as easily as I could. And it's, I don't have an, I don't have an inroad. Uh, I don't have a special code. You know, when you call in, you're like, enter your pastor code. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, he, he has a priority, front of the line. Uh, that doesn't happen. But uh, you know, sometimes if prayer worked the way we thought it should work, we would get around that bedside and we'd hold hands because holding hands somehow makes prayer work better. Squeezing at the end, you know. You squeeze hands at what's, you know, you squeeze hands. But you don't rub. Don't ever rub hands when you're holding prayer. That's, that's creepy. But we're standing there, we're praying, and then we would expect as soon as amen, the person opens their eyes, they sit up, they get up, they're discharged, we walk out of there, everything is sunshine and roses. Much like the miracles, when Jesus would perform a miracle, he'd walk up to a lame man and say, get up and walk, and he would. Prayer doesn't always happen that way. And more often than not, prayer takes a lot longer than instant. Why? Even when God does answer my prayers, it doesn't happen the way I want it to sometimes. But this morning, looking at why does God say no? Why doesn't God always say yes to me? Sometimes people say, well, if God loved me, wouldn't he give me what I want? Wouldn't he give me what I need? I'm not asking for things that are bad. I'm not asking for evil, wicked things. So why doesn't God just go ahead and say yes? God doesn't always answer my prayer, then what's the point of praying? Ever been told, well, God knows best. And that is true. But if I take that with my misunderstanding of what prayer is, well, if God knows what's best, and there's a chance that I'm not going to get my prayers answered because He knows best, then why do I even need to talk to Why do I even need to ask if he already knows? Why do some people always seem to get their prayers answered, but not me? 
And there's several reasons why God might not, might say no to my request. But we're going to look at uh, just a few of them this morning. And then, like I said, next week we'll look at a few more. And even as I was studying over this again today, I thought, you know, there's there's this and this and this too that we could have used uh, as a reason. But let's look at these, the, just a few of these reasons today. And hopefully, and reason I'm, 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 I'm bringing this to you today is to keep you from getting discouraged when you pray. This is not an encouragement to pray. We've already done that. I've been encouraging you to pray for four weeks now. But this is an encouragement to keep going when it doesn't work the way you thought it did. You know, sometimes we, we get we get all amped up to do something, to learn this new thing we're going to try. And then we find out, especially as kids, we find out we're not experts right away. You know, my kids, they want to get into sports and they try all these different sports and they think they're going to be, you know, superstar quality the first time they, they step up to the plate or the first time they throw the ball up towards the hoop or whatever game we're playing and then they find out. It's not easy. And I have to explain it to them. You have to keep going if you're going to get any better. If if it was this easy, everybody would be doing it. Uh, one of my one of my favorite things when we go to uh, my my boys are in the t-ball and the and the peewees here, and the coach was a couple of practices ago. They're all, my my son he's swinging for the fences, and the coach kept saying, "You're not that good, okay? Chill out. You need to just uh, slow down and work on some fundamentals." But that whole "You're not that good" kept saying, "I'm thinking that's what I'm saying to him too." Prayer is the same way. All right. We are not that good that we would pray and instantly we're going to get everything that we want just like that. We'll look at today. Even Jesus didn't get all of his prayers answered. The disciples focus on them. That's in our passage this morning. So let's look at a couple of reasons this morning why God might say no. Number one, because I have the wrong request, the wrong request. I'm asking for the wrong thing. Look back in this passage here with me and, and let's get the idea of what this passage is all about. Jesus has taken the three, we call them like his inner circle. He's got, you know, he's got a bunch of followers and he's got 12 disciples, but then in the 12 disciples, he's got three inner circle guys, Peter, James, and John. What's interesting is we hear a lot about Peter and we hear a lot about John, but James kind of fell off the radar somewhere and we don't know why he was so special. Maybe it was because he was John's brother and that's the disciple Jesus loved and so he's the I don't know why, but James and John and Peter are up on this mountain, and uh, we call it the Mount of, uh, well, 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 let's just read the story. Let me, let me just explain to you what's going on. So in uh, verse number two, he takes him up to a mountain, and it says he was transfigured before them. Verse number three, it tells us what he looked like. His raiment became shining. His, so his whole body, his whole, his whole person is shining, exceeding white as snow. Um, I mean, this is, and this is the whitest white you've ever seen. I mean, this is bright, like hurting your eyes bright. There are some parallel passages in the other Gospels, and they give us a couple more details uh, in each different one. There was a cloud that had descend, descended on them during this time, and maybe to prevent, you know, their 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 uh, they from going blind. You know, when you walk outside, sometimes when it's snowing and it's so bright, you have to wear sunglasses because, and it's not sunny outside; it's just so bright because that glare off of that white snow. Well, that that may be even worse standing there looking at Jesus. And then all of a sudden, here appears, the verse here says Elias, this is Elijah, and Moses, Old Testament uh, heroes that had long been dead. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus, and appear him uh, with him, Elijah and Moses. If you read this story, it tells us Peter didn't know what to say. In uh, verse number, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Matthew, it also gives this account. 
But also in Luke 9, it says he didn't know what he was saying. I thought those two phrases were very interesting. In Mark 9, Peter didn't know what to say, and so he just blurted something out. Peter does that a lot. If you read the Gospels, Peter speaks before thinking things through. And he has a prayer request. And he says, Jesus, this is a good thing for us to be here. This is awesome. Jesus, I've got an idea. Why don't we build three tabernacles? We'll build one for you because you're Jesus and you're God. And then we'll build one for Moses and we'll build one for Elijah. Good prayer request. That's not evil. That's not wrong. It's not wicked. It's a good idea. Jesus, you can make it happen. Let's do it. Amen. And then all of a sudden, God's, the Father's booming voice comes out of heaven. It's got to be booming because it's God. And it's probably deep bass and rumbling the mountain. And here comes God's voice. And basically he says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. I wrote in my Bible there, listen and watch. Sometimes when we pray, we just need to listen and watch. I said last week a little bit, part of praying is not praying. It's just listening. It's just being quiet. And that's what Paul, God is telling Peter here. Hush, Peter. You're talking too much. Hush. It's the, it was the metaphorical putting his finger to his lips. Peter, shh, you've done enough talking for now. You have no idea what you're saying. You don't know what to say, so you're just saying something. You brought this request, and you don't even realize what you've just asked. You've missed the point of why I brought you up to this mountain. Look, three people in the whole entire world get to witness this. You're one of them, and you're missing the point. Peter, hush. You're missing this. Listen. And all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses are gone, and it's just Jesus. And then there's there's some kind of conversation that goes on because then Jesus tells them, "Don't tell anybody about what you saw up here." Um, and then and then and then they go back down to the mountain, and then and then it begins to kind of make sense as time passes. But oftentimes, when we pray, we pray and we ask for the wrong things. Maybe we're not praying intentionally. Uh, maybe we're not praying intentionally something wrong. I, I don't think many of us would pray for things that we think are wrong for us. God, would you let me get hit by a bus today? God, would you, would you, uh, you know, help me lose my job? Help me fly off the handle at my wife and kids and kick the dog. You know, we don't pray for those things that are bad for us. We honestly pray for things that we think would be right and good. Maybe for us or maybe for other people. Hey, when someone's on their deathbed, we generally pray, God, heal them. That's not bad. It's not wicked. Or when someone loses their job, we pray, God, help them get a job, give them their money. Or when someone has some type of a prayer request, we generally pray for the good. And sometimes it's the wrong request. Proverbs 16 and uh, Proverbs 21 tell us this, that every way of a man, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but in Proverbs 16, it says that every way of a man is clean in his own eyes. And Proverbs 21 tells us that every man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So in my perspective, what I'm praying for is pure and clean, and it's the best thing. It's the best case scenario, God. This, in my limited understanding, this is what should happen. Amen. You know what to do, God. Get on it. Amen. And I sit back, and I'm watching, and I'm waiting. And God says, no. What do you mean, no? This is a good idea, God. I mean, I mean, don't you agree that this person is sick? This person needs to be healed. Or don't you agree that this person needs a job? Or don't you agree that fill in the blanks? What do you mean, no? It says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what to say, and so you're saying the wrong thing. 
it's wrong for me. Because I really, and maybe I don't realize it's wrong for me, but it's wrong for me. The disciples, as I said, they prayed. And we'll look at another passage in just a moment here, but they didn't always get their requests. The disciples prayed several times throughout the scriptures and gospels record them and they don't get what they asked for because they too, because they're just humans like we are, didn't understand what they were asking for. We looked at last week, Romans 8.26. We don't know how to pray for the things that we should pray for like we should pray for them. God tells us that. I already know you guys don't know how to pray, but I want you to pray anyways. Just be prepared because sometimes you're going to ask for the wrong thing and I'm going to say no. Peter, as we looked at the, the one here in Mark 9, he, he, uh, he said, let's build three tabernacles. In Mark chapter 10, let's turn over there because we're going to be there in just a minute. But in Mark chapter 10, the, uh, they had given, uh, the, the, there's two parallel accounts here. And so one of us tells that James and John come with their mom and their mom asked the request. And then in Mark chapter 10, it was James and John asked the request. So I'm assuming their mom was there, but all three of them are kind of going after this together. But uh, in this passage, we'll look at it in just a little bit, uh, a little bit more in a, in a few moments. But in Mark chapter ten and verse thirty-five, there, there, uh, um, oh, Mark nine thirty-five does not look like Mark ten thirty-five. And there, they they come and they say in verse thirty-five, it says, "Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we desire." That's basically every one of our prayers, right? God, I want you to do the thing I'm about to ask you for. Good idea. I thought about this. I can't see any problems with this. I can't see any flaws with this. So God, I've done all the homework for you. Due diligence, whatever you want to call it. God, this is the best thing to do. Here it is. Get ready. Hope you're writing this down because I've got all the details figured out. You ever prayed like that? And God doesn't even pick up his pen. He just says, no. Uh, excuse me. Sorry, I thought I heard you say no. You mean I, you just want me to slow down? You want me to repeat that? I says, no, I'm just, that's not how it's going to work. What? What, what, do you, what do you mean? I, I know. How could you not see this? I mean, God, I, this is so obvious. This is an easy request. This is an easy thing to do. No. That's it? So all you're going to say is no? No. Look at, look at this, pet, this, this, this request that they have. They said, Jesus, we want you to do the thing that we're about to ask you. Verse 36, Jesus says, all right. What would ye that I should do for you? And this is their request. Now think about this, was that what, what they're asking. Verse 37, they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Now if we get down a little bit further in the passage, we find out this was not a private request. This wasn't, Jesus, would you come over here for a second? And let me tell you something. Let me ask you a favor in private. They were within earshot of the other disciples. So there's 12 total. So the other 10 hear them ask this request. What would you do if you were part of that group and two of Jesus' favorites, John was already the one that Jesus loved, right? And John seems to like to remind us in his Gospels and in his epistles later on, I'm the one Jesus loves. I'm Jesus' pet. I'm his favorite. Now, that might not be true, but that's how John likes to remember himself. And he's the one going and asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, when you get to heaven, you get in your kingdom, we would like for you to save reserved seating, save seats for us, one on your right hand, and one on your left hand. So when you're ruling the world, we're going to be right there with you, okay? That's a good idea, right, Jesus? And Jesus, Jesus answered them. Look what he says. Verse number 38, same thing he told Peter. You know not what you ask. You have no idea what you're asking for. This is a huge request. And later on, he says, it's not mine to give. I can't answer this request. No. 
Let me just show you where I was talking about verse number 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. I think it's a very polite way of saying they're pretty ticked off at James and John. Who do you think you are for asking permission to sit? Are you better than us, James and John? You think you're better than us? You think that you're going to be able to rule and reign over us? I mean, there's this, there's this competition now going on with the disciples. If we, were, if we were to continue reading on, Jesus had to teach them about the least being the greatest and the greatest being the least, that paradox of Christianity. But sometimes when I come and I ask God for things, it's the wrong request. It's short-sightedness. It might be ignorance on my part. Let's, I don't know everything. And be honest with yourself. You don't either. You don't know what's best for yourself. As parents, we tell our kids, I know what's best for you. But we really, we don't, do we? We try. We do our very best. But really, only God knows what's best. Only God looks into the future and sees, this needs to happen to you now so that later on, you'll be better prepared. Or this needs to happen now so that this doesn't happen later on. I can't see that far into the future. I don't know what life will be like 20 years from, from me for now. Neither do you. In fact, we can't even see until dinner time. We make our plans, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going, tomorrow's going to look like. We don't know what 10 years or 15 years or... We don't know what 10 minutes from now is going to look like. Only God does. And so when we make our requests, sometimes we forget that we are limited in our scope and we can only see the present and we remember the past and we assume the future, but we don't really see the future and we make our requests and God says, I know it sounds like a good idea right now and it really makes a lot of sense in your limited perspective, but I see the whole picture. It's not good for you. It's the wrong request. And even though it might not be a wicked and evil request, it is the wrong request. And I have to say no. God loves us too much to give us the things that are bad for us and wrong for us. He is our father. He is a parent. He is a heavenly parent, a heavenly father. And just like a earthly father and mother would not give their kids things that they know are bad for them, that we knew it is not a good idea for you to do these things. I'm going to say no. Even though I sound like a spoil sport, even though I'm, dad's no fun, he always says no. Because you keep asking the wrong things. If my kids kept asking me, dad, can I have some broccoli? Dad, can I go to bed early? Dad, can I clean the house? Yes, 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 right? But they don't ask for those things, do they? Dad, it's 10 o'clock at night. Can I have some soda? No. Uh, my wife and I, we drink coffee because it keeps us going. And we, we're, we're, they're always like, dad, can I have some coffee? No. Why not? You don't need any coffee. You're already wild and crazy. Just the other day, one of them's bouncing off the walls and then comes a dad, dad, can I have some? And they, no, no, no. You need something like to counteract what's going on inside of you right now. That's just how it works. But, you know, as, as children, they say, well, dad, why do you always say no? Because you're asking for the wrong stuff, bud. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. And I, and I love myself. I don't want to live with a person that's been on sugar all day long like that. So I'm going to say no. And God says, I have to say no sometimes for the same reason. It's just the wrong request. I wonder, I know, and I would hesitate to ask, and I'm getting a little, I'm going a little bit long on this one, but I did. So maybe you did. Guys, do you remember, can you go all the way back to your teenage years when you were in love? You remember that? That girl 
that you're probably not sitting beside right now. But back then, she was the one. And you were so in love with that girl. God, please let me marry her. God, she's the one. I mean, her hair is so so wavy and, and so beautiful. And she smells so good. I mean, God, she's the one. I can just know. I just know it deep inside my heart. I just know. How old are you? I'm 14. But I just know. How do I know these things? And God says no out of mercy and grace. If you've ever, uh, again, inside your heart, you can raise your hand, but don't raise your hand up because uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But how many times has God said no to request of ours? And then years later, like, oh, thank you. Thank you for protecting me from myself. Uh, you, know, you see this, you see the one used to date going, whoa, that's the bullet there. You know, whew, thanks for saying no sometimes because I really didn't need her. Uh, I've, I've been, I've, I remember, uh, d- girls that I, I, I didn't date, date, but I took a few, you know, on a date or two here and there. And then later on, I see how they turn out to be. I'm like, whew, thank you, Lord. You know, you, you protect me, guiding my way the whole time and, and protecting me from, from some, some horrible, horrible, uh, circumstances. And, and I think, you know, God, then, now I'm glad that then you said no. But at the time, I was frustrated. God, why won't you answer my questions? Why won't you say yes? Number two, and I gotta rush through the rest of this to get this. Number two, God says no sometimes because I have the wrong motives. We looked in the passage here already with James and John. They come and Jesus says, you don't know why you're asking these things. You have the wrong motives. You wanna, you want a position of honor and greatness. And he had to explain to them, only the people who are the least will be the greatest. And he that is the greatest among you will be your servant. And Jesus said, sometimes I gotta say no, but not because it's the wrong request, but because you have the wrong motives. I'm asking upon my lusts. James 4.2 says, You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not. Because you ask not. You ask and receive not. Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. All of that is to get something that I want. And so notice the things that I'll do to, ha- to get what I want. I'll lust. It's a sin to lust. It's desiring something I rightfully should not have. But And then notice, I'll kill and desire to have, and I can't get it. So then what do I do? I fight and I war with people, and I don't have it. And he says, you have it because you don't ask for it. But then when you do ask for it, you don't get it because you're asking for the wrong reasons. He says, you ask amiss. He says that you can consume it upon your lusts. If I pray and I ask God for a raise at work, I don't pray for that, just so you know, I'm not praying. But uh, if, if I pray for raise at work, I am, uh, but I'm doing it so that I can look good to other people, or I'm praying for some type of position or authority so that I can feel good about myself, I'm asking it to, for my own lust. It's not a good decision. It's not a good thing for God to give, to give me. And so I'm, I'm doing it to satisfy lust. In Luke 9, James and John again, they asked Jesus for something. And he basically, some Samaritans didn't want him to come through. And he said, Jesus, send fire down. We want us to send fire down from it and consume them. Jesus says, you don't know what kind of spirit you have right now. I'm going to say no to that request because you're vicious. I mean, you're vengeful. And, and no, <laughs> I'm not going to kill a bunch of people just because they wouldn't let me pass through their borders. Wrong desires, wrong motives. I wonder if we pray sometimes to excuse our laziness. Sometimes praying is not what we should be doing. Sometimes action is something that we should do. And instead we say, God, would you just please change that person? 
when really I need to do some work on myself. Maybe I need to go, God, would you just make so-and-so move across the country? Because we just don't have a good relationship. So would you just like kill them, maybe? I don't know. Or maybe just make a move to Alaska when what really needs to happen is I need to humble myself and go and apologize for maybe some trouble that we have between the two of us. Or maybe I need to change something about myself. And sometimes we use prayer as a crutch and say, yeah, yeah, God, I really, I'm kind of being lazy here. So God, I want you to do all the, all the hard work. I'm just here to ask. God says, you have the wrong motives. I can't answer it. Number three, sometimes it's the wrong timing. Sometimes as we pray, it's the wrong timing. Good request, but bad timing. And, and in those requests, they're just not ready. They're half baked, if you will. And so God says, wait. I want you to wait. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. We looked at it last uh, last couple of weeks, but Jesus talks about, He says, your heavenly Father knows already what you need. So if I already know what you need, I know when you need it. But when I come to God, as I said a minute ago, when I come to God, I'm ready for you to answer it right now, and I'm an impatient little child. God, right now. He says, no, no, no. Hang on. No, no, no. Right now. Let's go. Right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. How many of you parents, you don't tell your kids you're going to do something fun until like right before it happens because you don't want to have to deal with the months of all of those, uh, of that anticipation. Oh, let's go, let's go. It's not time yet. We can't do it yet. Oh, or, when can I drive? You're six. You can't drive yet until like 10 years from now. Well, when can I do You're not old enough yet. It's not time yet. When can I get married? Well, when you find someone and you have enough money to pay for her and yourself. You're not living in my basement. You're not, I mean, this is, this is how you're, but you're 10 right now. So you're probably not ready to get married or you're 16. You're still not ready. One of the hardest times of being a teenager is that last two or three years of high school because you're almost there, but you're not there yet. And I can't tell you how many times I sat across from a junior and a senior in high school and as the principal of the school and they're so frustrated because they got these women because usually their teachers were women and these women tell them what to do all the time. And, and, and I'm like, you know what though? You're not there yet. You're almost there, but not yet. So just hang on. And I, my biggest, my best advice is keep your head down. Just put your head down and grit your teeth and bear it. You've got, you know, somehow in like April and graduation would be in May and they're ready to just like quit. I'm like, you've got a month, man. Come on, just chill out, man. You just, you're almost there. Just Fly under the radar just for a little bit longer, and then you get a summer, and then maybe senior year, and it just because you're we're almost in that transition period, and we just got to learn to wait. Oh, hurry up and do this! Hurry up and hurry up and God says, "I need you just to hang on. I've got a good time. I've got a good uh, a good time plan. If you wait for my time plan." Matthew six eight, as I said, your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. So. Long before I realized it was important, God said, I already know about that. And so I already know when you need it then. But I come kind of late to the party going, oh, no, God, it's an emergency. And no, it's not. I, I knew about this. And it's okay. It's already on the counter. It's already in the books. It's already ready to go. Just hang on and wait. It's hard, okay? It is hard to wait on God. Last, last summer for my family was a waiting process. Because I decided in April of last year, God, I think you want me to be a pastor. And so for, I don't know how many months it was because I stopped. It seemed like an eternity. All right, God, you dealt with me. It took me some time to, to come around and say yes. All right, I said yes, let's do it. Where's the church? April passed. Nothing happened. 
May passes. Nothing happened. I call up a grumpy guy out in Las Vegas who can't hear anyways, right? Call Larry Spin. Hey, I'm a, pa- I'm a guy, and I hear uh, I'm, I'm looking for a church, and I hear you're looking for a pastor. I'm your guy, you know, and I felt, I felt like a jerk. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll send us your resume. Click. <laughs> okay, yeah, better get a resume together. Uh, nothing happens May, June, July. Man, what's going on here, God? I thought we were, and then the worst thing, my youth pastor calls. And he, he had been my youth pastor, and then he moved to California to be a pastor um, maybe five or six years ago. And he calls and he goes, remember what happened to me when I left? And he did the exact same thing that I did. He, he made the decision. He talked to my dad, the pastor, and he said, you know, I think that God wants me to be, a, to move on to this. And he says, I'm going to begin looking. And he immediately he found a church. I mean, I'm talking like days. He found a church that, I mean, it just looked like a perfect situation. And then all of a sudden, right at the last minute, it just fell through. And for four months, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And he said it caused me to question, and it caused me to wonder, what is going on? Did I make the wrong decision? And then all of a sudden, four months later, everything fell into place, and he, and he's, and he, and he went to the place he is now, and it's, it, was, it was the right place to be. And I thought, I can't do this for four months. And guess what? I, I didn't. I did it for longer. <laughs> it was longer than four months, two years. It was awful. But, but when, I'm, when you look back and go, I'm glad I waited. I had a couple of people call in California. Hey, would you come down? We don't have any church or anything, but would you just come down? We can't pay you or anything. Really no jobs either. But you want to come down? And I was, I was almost, I was almost ready to do it. And I look back going, it's probably better that I didn't. I'm sure I'm glad. I hope you're glad. But he's you know, like, man, I wish you'd have gone to California. Maybe we can collect together. No, uh, we, you know, waiting on God's timing because as soon as we jump out of that and we try to do it ourselves, we can read story after story in the Bible of what happens when we rush God's timing, when we, do, when we don't fall in line with what God has to do. Let me, let me just quickly finish with this. Wrong will, number four. It's just simply the wrong will. It's not a wrong request. It's in the right timing as far as we can tell. It's not a wrong motive. It just so happens to be the wrong will. Because when I pray for things, I'm praying for my will to be done. And God says, I do things according to my own will. Jesus, I told you, Jesus didn't always get his prayers answered. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, Jesus is praying in the garden. He says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And it didn't, did it? He, he, he had to go through it. Humanly speaking, Jesus did not want that to happen. But he said, and this ought to be our attitude as we do pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. Thine be done. Recognizing here there are two different wills in this. Which am I going to cling to? Which am I going to hold on to? My own will, which is sometimes self-centered and sometimes short-sighted and uh, proud and jealous and selfish, or God's will? which is perfect and holy and righteous and just. Just in closing, look at, look at this verse put up on the screen if you Isaiah 55 and verse number 8 really summarizes what God wants us to get, to get from this idea here. My thoughts are not your thoughts. There's two wills. My thoughts, your thoughts. My will, your will. He says, neither are your ways 
my ways. You have ways, I have ways. Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 21 tells me that my ways look right and clean in my eyes, but God says, I've got a different way to do things. I've got a different MO. I've got a different plan. And sometimes our wills go in two different directions. So when you're on your knees and you're asking me for something, I've got to ask you a question. Whose will matters more to you? There are some times when we go off and we do our own thing and we want our will regardless. And sometimes if we were to be honest, we say, you know what, God, I'm only praying because I kind of have to out of an obligation. If you don't answer it this way, I'm still going my way. I'm still going to do what I want to do. It really doesn't matter what you say. I'm just here as an official obligatory. I'd like your blessing, but if not, oh, well, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. Sometimes in prayer, I think God says, well, wait a minute. I've got a way I want to do this, and you've got a way you want to do this. Whose side are you on? I'm going to do it a certain way. I can promise you it'll be the best. But I know you have a will. I know you have a, a desires. And Are you willing to give up those things for my will? Are you willing to trade all of that in for something unseen, a little bit scary, but ultimately better? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So maybe my request, my solution is not the best thing. Maybe my timing is not perfect. Maybe, just maybe, God knows something that I don't. Maybe God has a plan and He's already been working it throughout these events. So what do I do? What do I do when God tells me no? Number one, keep praying. Keep praying. Don't quit just because God told you no one time. Sometimes the answer takes a little longer to get to us. I put in your notes, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel prayed for 21 days. It took his prayer request, his answer to get to him, but it had been answered immediately. But it, and, 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 and there's uh, spiritual forces at, at war going on uh, that Daniel didn't know about. Keep praying. Don't quit just because God told you no. But number two, examine your prayer. Look at that prayer as you keep praying. Is my prayer within the right motives? Maybe God's will, maybe God's word shows me something about maybe my my timing is wrong or maybe I'm praying for the wrong thing. Maybe I should be asking. You know, for me, it's a hard thing when an elderly person is on their deathbed. I want them to be healed, but I know we've all got to go at some time or another. But how do I pray for that? And of course, I'm going to pray. God, I'd like for them to be healed. I'd like for them to be saved. Okay, God, maybe you've got a different will. Maybe it's that person's time. So then how now how do I need to pray? Because I'm not just interested in praying so I can get my prayers answered. Because more often than not, I don't get what I ask for. I'm praying for a different reason. So examine those prayers. But then lastly, and this is the crux of the whole of the whole message right here. Learn to trust God's judgment over your own. And learn to accept whatever He chooses for you. Your will or His will. And God's going to say, no, sometimes. And God's going to do it His way. The Lord's Prayer, part of it, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Jesus said, not My will, but Thine be done. I've got to learn to accept that God knows what He's doing, and God knows what is best, and God loves me enough to do what is best for me.
And I've got to learn to accept that. And I tell you what, that's hard to do. It's not easy. But if I'm going to get the most out of praying, if I'm going to let God change me, there's got to be a will change. Okay, God. I think I know what I want here. Here it is. He said no. Okay, well, maybe later. Maybe something wrong. Maybe something. Maybe I don't know, God. Maybe you just do what you want to do here and teach me what I need to do in response. Because God's going to tell me no. What am I going to do there?